0: CHAPTER FOUR OF THE PEOPLE OF THE MIST BY H. RYDER HAGGARD THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN THE LAST VIGIL For a while Leonard sat by the body of his brother. The daylight grew and gathered about him. The round ball of the sun appeared above the mountains. The storm was gone. Were it not for some broken fragments of the vanished hut, it would have been difficult to know even that it had been. Insects began to chirrup. Lizards ran from the crevices of the rocks. Yonder, the rain-washed bud of a mountain lily, opened before his eyes. Still Leonard sat on, his face stony with grief, till at length a shadow fell upon him from above. He looked up. It was cast by a vulture's wings. As they hurried to the place of death, grasping his loaded rifle leonard sprang to his feet nearer and nearer came the bird wheeling above him in lessening circles it forgot the presence of the living in its desire for the dead leonard lifted the rifle aimed and fired the report rang out clearly on the silent air and was echoed from the kranz and of the mountainside and from above answered the thud of the bullet for a moment the spitten bird swayed upon its wide pinions then they seemed to crumple beneath its weight and it fell heavily and lay flapping and striking at the stones with its strong beak i also can kill said leonard to himself as he watched it die kill till you are killed that is the law of life then he turned to the body of his brother and made it ready for burial as best he might closing the eyes tying up the chin with a band of twisted grass and folding the thin toil-worn hands upon the quiet heart when all was finished he paused from his dreadful task and a thought struck him where are those kaffirs he said aloud and the sound of his voice seemed to dull the edge of solitude the lazy hounds they ought to have been up an hour ago hi otter otter the mountain echoed otter otter there was no other reply again he shouted without result i don't like to leave it he said but i must go and see and having covered the body with a red blanket to scare away the vultures he started at a run round some projecting rocks that bordered the little plateau on which the hut had stood beyond them The plateau continued, and some fifty paces from the rocks was a hollow in the mountainside, where a softer vein of stone had been eaten away by centuries of weather. It was here that the Kaffirs slept, four of them, and in front of this cave or grotto it was their custom to make a fire for cooking. But on that morning no fire was burning, and no Kaffirs were to be seen. Still asleep, was leonard's comment as he strode swiftly toward the cave in another moment he was in it shouting otter otter and saluting with a vigorous kick a prostrate form of which he could just see the outline the form did not move which was strange for such a kick should have suffered to wake even the laziest basuto from his soundest sleep leonard stopped to examine it and the next moment started back violently, exclaiming, Good heavens, it is Cheat, and he's dead! At this moment a thick voice spoke from the corner of the cave in Dutch, the voice of Otter. I am here, boss. I am tied. The boss must loosen me. I cannot stir. Leonard advanced, striking a match as he came. Presently it burned up, and he saw the man Otter lying on his back, His legs and arms bound firmly with rimpus of hide, his face and body a mass of contusions. Drawing his hunting knife, Leonard cut the rimpus and brought the man from out the cave carrying rather than leading him. Otter was a knob-nosed kaffir, that is, of the bastard Zulu race. The brothers had found him wandering about the country in a state of semi-starvation and he had served them faithfully for some years they had christened him otter his native patronymic being quite unpronounceable because of his extraordinary skill in swimming which almost equaled that of the animal after which he was named in face the man was hideous though his ugliness was not unpleasant being due chiefly to a great development of his tribal feature the nose and in body He was misshapen to the verge of monstrosity. In fact, Otter was a dwarf, measuring little more than four feet in height. But what he lacked in height he made up in breadth. It almost seemed as though, intended by nature, to be a man of many inches, he had been compressed to his present dimensions by art. His vast chest and limbs, indicating strength nearly superhuman, his long iron arms and massive head all gave color to this idea otter had one redeeming feature however his eyes that when visible which at this moment was not the case were large steady and like his skin of a brilliant black what has happened said leonard also speaking in dutch this boss, last night those three basuto villains your servants made up their minds to desert. They told me nothing, and they were so cunning that though I watched even their thoughts, I never guessed. They knew better than to tell me, for I would have beaten them, yes, all. So they waited till I was sound asleep, then came behind me, the three of them, and tied me fast that I should not hinder them, and that they might take away Boss Tom's gun, which you lent me, and other things soon i found out their plans and though i laughed in their faces oh my heart was black with rage when the basuto dogs had tied me they mocked me calling me foul names and saying that i might stop and starve with the white fools my masters who always dug for yellow iron and found so little being fools then they got together everything of value yes down to the kettle and made ready to go and each of them came and slapped me on the face and one burnt me here upon the nose with a hot brand all this I bore as a man must bear trouble which comes from the skies but when cheat took up baas tom's gun and the others came with a rhyme to tie me to the rock i could bear it no more so i shouted aloud and drove at cheat who held the gun ah they had forgotten that if my arms are strong My head is stronger. butting like a bull, I caught him fair in the middle, and his back was against the side of the cave. He made one noise, no more. He will never make another noise, for my head smashed him up inside, and the rock hurt me through him. Then the other two hit me with carries, great blows, and my arms being tied, I could not defend myself, though I knew that they would soon kill me, so i groaned and dropped down pretending to be dead just like a stink cat at last thinking that they had finished me the basutos ran away in a great hurry for they feared lest you might hear the shouting and should come after them with rifles they were so much afraid that they left the gun and most of the other things after that i fainted it was silly but those carries of theirs are of rhinoceros horn i should not have minded so much had they been of wood but the horn bites deep that is all the story it will please baas tom to know that i saved his gun when he hears it he will forget his sickness and say well done otter ha otter your head is hard make your heart hard also said leonard with a sad smile Boss tom is dead he died at daybreak in my arms The fever killed him, as it killed the other Incosis, chiefs. Otter heard, and letting his bruised head fall upon his mighty chest, remained for a while in silence. At length he lifted it, and Leonard saw two tears wandering down the battered countenance. Wow, he said, is it so? Oh, my father, are you dead? You who were brave like a lion, and gentle as a girl yes, you are dead. My ears have heard it. And were it not for your brother, the boss Leonard, I think I would kill myself and follow you. Wow, my father, are you indeed dead, who smiled upon me yesterday? Come, said Leonard, I dare not leave him long. And he went, otter following him, with a reeling gait, for he was weak from his injuries. Presently they reached the spot and Otter saw that the hut was gone. Certainly, he said, our bad spirits were abroad last night. Well, next time it will be the turn of the good ones. Then he drew near to the corpse and saluted it with uplifted hand and voice. Chief and father, he said in Zulu, for Otter had wandered long and knew many tongues, but he loved the Zulu best of all. While you lived upon earth you were a good man and brave, though somewhat quick of temper and quarrelsome like a woman. Now you have wearied of this world and flown away like an eagle towards the sun. And there, where you live, in the light of the sun, you will be braver and better yet, and become more patient and not quarrel any more with those who are less clever than you. Chief and father, I salute you. May he, who you named the Otter, serve you and the Inkosi, your brother, once more in the house of the Great-Great, if one so ugly and misshapen can enter there. As for the Basuto dog whom I slew, and who would have stolen your gun, I see now that I killed him in a fortunate hour, that he might be the slave beneath your feet in the house of the Great-Great. Ah, had I known... I would have sent a better man, for there, as here, cheat will still be cheat. Hail, my father, hail and farewell. Let your spirit watch over us and be gentle towards us who love you yet. And Otter turned away without further ado, and having washed his wounds, he set himself to the task of preparing such coarse food as they had in store. When it was ready, Leonard ate of it and after he had finished eating, together they bore the body to the little cave for shelter. It was Leonard's purpose to bury his brother at sundown. He might not delay longer, but till then he would watch by him, keeping the last of many vigils. So all that remained of the basuto cheat, having been dragged forth and thrust unceremoniously into an ant-bear hole by Otter, who, while he disposed of the body, did not spare to taunt the spirit of his late, treacherous foe. The corpse of Thomas Ultram was laid in its place, and Leonard sat himself by its side in the gloom of the cave. About midday, Otter, who had been sleeping off his sorrows, physical and mental, came into the cave. They were short of meat, he said, and with the leave of the boss, he would take the gun of the dead boss and try to shoot a buck leonard bade him go but to be back by sundown as he should require his help where shall we dig a hole Boss? asked the dwarf one is dug answered leonard he who is dead dug it himself as the others did we will bury him in the last pit he made looking for gold to the right of where the hut stood it is deep and ready yes Boss, a good place though perhaps Boss tom would not have worked at it so strongly, had he known. Wow! Who knows to what end he labors, but perchance it is a little near the Donga. Twice the hole has been flooded, while Boss Tom was digging in it. Then he would jump out, but now... I have settled it, said Leonard shortly. Go, and be back half an hour before sundown at latest. Stop. Bring some of those rock lilies, if you can. The boss was fond of them. The dwarf saluted and went, Ah, he said to himself, as he waddled down the hill, where he hoped to find game. Ah, you do not fear men dead or living overmuch yet, Otter. It is true that you are better here in the sun, though the sun is hot than yonder in the cave. Say, Otter, why does boss Tom look so awful now that he is dead? He who was so gentle while yet he lived. Cheat did not look awful, only uglier. But then you killed Cheat, and the heavens killed Boss Tom, and set their own seal upon him. And what will Boss Leonard do now that his brother is dead, and the Basutos have run away? Go on digging for the yellow iron which is so hard to find and of which, when it is found, no man can even make a spear. Nay, What is that to you, Otter? What the boss does, you do. And here be the spore of an impala buck." Otter was right. The day was fearfully hot. It was summer in East Africa, or rather autumn, the season of fever, thunder, and rain, a time that none who value their lives would care to spend in those latitudes searching for gold with poor food and but little shelter but men who seek their fortunes are not chary of hazarding their own lives or those of others they become fatalists not avowedly perhaps but unconsciously those who are destined to die must die they think the others will live and after all it does not greatly matter which they do for as they know well the world will never miss them when leonard autram his brother and two companions in adventure, heard from the natives that at a particular spot on the mountains, nominally in the Portuguese territory, near the lowest branch of the Zambezi, gold could be dug out like iron ore, and when, at the price of two tower muskets and a half-bred greyhound, they received concessions from the actual chief of that territory to dig up and possess the gold. Without let or hindrance from any person whatsoever, they did not postpone their undertaking, because the country was fever-stricken and the unhealthy season drew on. In the first place, their resources were not great at the moment, and in the second they feared lest some other enterprising person with three tower muskets and two greyhounds should persuade the chief to rescind their concession in his favor. So they journeyed laboriously to the place of hidden wealth, and, with the help of such native labor as they could gather, began their search. At first they were moderately successful. Indeed, wherever they dug, they found color, and once or twice stumbled upon pockets of nuggets. Their hopes ran high, but presently one of the four, Askew by name, sickened and died of fever. They buried him and persevered with varying luck then a second member of their party johnson was taken ill he lingered for a month and died also after this leonard was for abandoning the enterprise but as fate would have it on the day following johnson's death they found gold in very promising quantities and his brother whose desire to win the wealth necessary was only increased by many disappointments would not listen to such advice so they rebuilt the hut on a higher and healthier spot and stayed but on one unfortunate day thomas outram went out shooting and losing his path in the bush was forced to spend a night in the fever bog a week afterwards he complained of sickness and pains in the back and head three weeks later he died as we have seen All these events and many others antecedent passed through Leonard's mind as he wore out the long hours seated by the side of his dead brother. Never before had he felt so lonely, so utterly desolate, so bankrupt, of all love and hope. It was a fact that at this moment he had no friend in the wide world, unless he could call the knob-nosed native otter a friend. He had been many years away from England. His few distant relations there troubled themselves no more about him or his brother, outcasts, wanderers in strange lands. His school and college companions, in all probability, had forgotten his existence. There was one, indeed, Jane Beach, but since that night of parting seven years ago he had heard nothing of her. Twice he had written, but no answer came to his letters then he gave up writing for leonard was a proud man moreover he guessed that she did not reply because she could not as he had said to his brother jane might be dead by now or more probably married to mr cohen and yet once they had loved each other and to this hour he still loved her or thought he did at least through all the weary years of exile labor and unceasing search After the unattainable, her image and memory had been with him, a distant dream of sweetness, peace, and beauty. And they were with him yet, though nothing of her remained to him except the parting gift of her prayer-book and the lock of hair within it. The wilderness is not a place where men can forget their earliest love. No, he was alone, absolutely and utterly alone, a wanderer in wild lands. A sojourner with rough, unlettered men and savages. And now, what should he do? This place was played out. There was alluvial gold indeed, but Leonard knew today that it was not in the earth, but in the veins of quartz which permeated the mountains. That the real wealth must be sought for. How could he extract it from quartz without machinery or capital? Besides, His kaffir servants had deserted him, worn out with hard work and fever, and there were no others to be had at this season. Well, it was only one more disappointment. He must go back to Natal and take his chance. At the worst, he could always earn his living as a transport rider, and at the best, he wearied of this search for wealth which was to build up their family afresh. Then of a sudden, Leonard remembered what he had promised, to go on seeking till he died. Very good. He would keep the promise till he died. And he remembered also the curious prophecy to which Thomas had given utterance on the previous night, that prophecy of wealth which should come to him. Of course it was nothing but the distraught fancy of a dying man. For many years his brother had brooded over this possibility of gaining riches not for their own sake, indeed, but that it might be the means of restoring the ancient family which their father had brought to shame and ruin. It was not wonderful in a man, of his excitable temperament, that at the hour of his death he should have grasped at some vision of attainment of the object of his life, though by the hand of another. And yet how strangely he had looked at him! With what conviction had he spoken! but all of this was besides the point he leonard had sworn an oath many years ago and only last night he had promised to continue to observe that oath therefore come good or ill he must pursue it to the end thus he mused till he grew weary as he sat hour after hour by the side of the rigid thing which had been his playmate his brother and his friend from time to time he rose and walked about the cave. As the afternoon waned, the air grew hotter and stiller, while a great cloud gathered on the horizon. "'There will be thunder at sundown,' said Leonard aloud. "'I wish that otter would come back, so that we might get the funeral over. Otherwise, we shall have to wait till tomorrow.' At length, about half an hour before nightfall, the dwarf appeared at the mouth of the cave, looking more like a gnome than a man against the lurid background of the angry sky a buck was tied across his enormous shoulders and in his hand he held a large bunch of the fragrant mountain lilies then the two of them buried thomas outram there in his lonely grave which he himself had dug by the gully and the roll of thunder was his requiem it seemed a fitting termination to a stormy and laborious life. End of chapter 4